Blessed church, the Bible says, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And after the choir led us in incredible praise and worship, I think it's appropriate for us to stop and pause right here and give God some praise. Come on, I can tell you already giving him all right praise. You're giving him so, so praise. I can't even see you, but I know it. We in our homes, we're in our living rooms, perhaps you're in your bedroom, in your kitchen, and you've just sat back, but I want you to stand up. I want you to give God some praise. Come on, let's Let's get into it because God is a good God. Why don't you type that in the chat if you really believe it? God is a good God. And I'm so excited for what God is doing in our midst right now. In the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of all the things that we are facing, God is still moving and God is a good God. And so I just want to encourage you right now, let us reverence him. Let us take this opportunity and lift up our hands and let us worship him right where we are. Turn your living room into an altar. Turn your kitchen into a place where he can be worshiped so that he can inhabit your praises. It doesn't say that he inhabits the praises of his people only on Sunday in a church building. The Bible doesn't say that. It says he inhabits the praises of his people. So Father God, right now we acknowledge your presence wherever we are. We know that you are not distant from us, even if we are distant from one another. And God, we thank you for what you are going to deposit in us today. God, we need you to talk to us today. We need you to move in us today. We need you to develop us today. We need you to challenge us today. God, we need revelation to spring forth like rivers of living water in our souls, God. We intend to get better. We intend to go through pressure. And on the other side of that pressure, God, we intend to be better than we were when we entered into it. In in the first place. So God, right now, I pray that you would calm some restless souls, that you would put together some broken hearts, that you would lift some, some hanging heads right now, God, and that your presence would be felt, that you would do a supernatural transformative work on the inside of us. The grace that is amazing enough to save us is the grace that is amazing enough to keep us and sanctify us and develop us into who you have called us to be. Father, even as we open up this text right now in 2 Corinthians, God, we know that there can't be a fire in anyone else's place. There can't be the fire of the Spirit falling down in some living rooms, in some homes, God, if there's an iceberg behind the pulpit. So, God, I pray that you would anoint me afresh, that you would think with my mind, that you would speak with my mouth, that you would move with my hands. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable. Oh, Lord, my strength and my Redeemer in whom I trust. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say, Amen. Amen. I'm excited about today. We got a little different setup. I'm excited about what God is doing in our midst. I'm telling you. Go to 2 Corinthians right now. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And we've been going through this concept of pressure season. We've been talking about this from a number of different angles. We talked about the pressure that's found in the midst of jars of clay, that there is surpassing greatness. We talked about the are and the but not from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We also last week talked about the pressure, how pressure reveals weakness in us in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, right? He says his grace is sufficient for us. His power is made perfect in our weakness. And today we're going to talk about the purpose of pressure. Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I'm going to read a few verses here. We're going to start in verse 3. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. 
For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our suffering, so also you share in our comfort. How many of y'all miss sports? Can I get a show of hands? How many of y'all miss sports? You miss sports? You miss being able to turn on a game at any point in time? You miss, you know, we're getting ready to head into football season, right? And college football is trying to figure out what are we going to do? Are we going to have sports? Are we not going to have sports? How many of y'all miss sports? Put, put a hand up in the chat if you miss sports. You know, I miss sports. I'm a sports junkie. You know, I grew up watching sports with my mother. I grew up watching sports with my brother. You know, my dad, he would just kind of peer in. My sister, she was kind of indifferent about it. But, you know, my dad would just pick whatever team won, right? Y'all know that about Pastor Burns. He's a front runner, right? He's a bandwagon fan. So whoever wins, he says, that's my team. I told y'all they was going to win. That ain't his team. He ain't got no team, right? But my brother, he's just a junkie. He has this podcast called Full Scope Sports Podcast. It's amazing. You should actually look that up. Uh, and so he dives into all these stats and everything. And so I, I miss being able to talk with him and other people about sports and all these things. And, and what we've seen is that some sports have tried to modify their approach, right? Some of these sports have tried to modify the approach so that they can actually still have competition even without fans. So you have baseball there. They're playing some games right now, an abbreviated season. You have combat sports. They're doing their thing, UFC and boxing. You also have soccer as well. But Y'all know what my favorite sport to watch is on a consistent, regular basis. Not my favorite sport overall, but it's my favorite sport to watch. It's basketball. It's the NBA. And they took it a step further in the creativity lane. They took it a step further and they brought in a select group of teams, those who had opportunities to make the playoffs, and they brought them into a bubble in Orlando at the wide world of sports. They brought them down into a bubble and they gave strict stipulations. And they said, we're gonna enter into the bubble and we're gonna play our games there. So the NBA and the WNBA, which is going on as well, which is phenomenal. I know you guys are like, what, the WNBA? I'm telling you, it's amazing. You gotta watch the WNBA. And so what happens is they're in this bubble and they're playing games against each other. They're playing against each other. And, and what they just finished were the seeding games. Now they're getting ready to head into the playoffs, right? Now, again, this is much later than what we normally would have. The, the champion would already be decided, long have been decided, a couple of months ago if this were a regular NBA season. But what's fascinated me about the bubble is the fact that they're so contained. They're so kept in the middle. They're so tied up with each other that everything else on the outside kind of fades away, right? And what shocked me most about the bubble is that the most fascinating thing to me, the most entertaining thing about the bubble, is not actually what's happening on the court, although that's been very entertaining. It's a different style of play. It's an AAU game, kind of like open gym. But what's really fascinated me about the bubble, you ready? It's the bench. The bench is the most entertaining part of the bubble. I know you're like, what? Why is the bench the most entertaining part of the bubble? The bench is the most entertaining part because these are the only people who are physically watching. These are the only people that you can see. And, and because there are no fans, there are just digital fans that they show on a Zoom board. Because there are no physical fans in the arena, now you can hear certain things that the teammates are saying to one another. 
Now you can hear them encourage one another. Now you can hear different teams trash talk. Now you can hear all these things that you wouldn't normally be able to hear. And it gives this kind of sense that the bench is really all in and the bench celebrates and the bench jeers the other team. And you can hear all this because there are no physical fans. But it struck me because the bench is typically what will happen is the NBA will have 15 players, right? NBA will have 15 players, and they'll be able to come and be a part of the team and suit up. But the reality is many of them won't play. The end of the bench guys, the 10 through 15 guys, they're not going to play. The 12 guys who suit up, maybe six of them, seven of them, eight of them, if you're good, they'll play. And the vast majority of the people who are in the bubble are actually not participating in the product that's on the court. Isn't it interesting that they had to come into the bubble and endure it because they're having to be away from family, away from friends, away from their normal routine. They're having to be away from all these things that they normally have access to, and they're having to endure the bubble for the sake of the people who are on the court. Sure, they get some monetary benefit from it. Sure, they are able to feed their families, but the reality is they're not actually participating that much in the product on the court. And so it struck me because it's interesting to think about the fact that the bench players, they endure the bubble for them, not for themselves, but primarily for the sake of others whether it's their families or the sake of the people who are on the court. They endure the bubble, not for themselves, but primarily for others. I, it shows me something. You can go through something, not for you, but for the sake of someone else. Did you know that? You can go through a situation and it not be about you, but it can be for the sake of someone else. I've got an important question for you today as it relates to pressure. You know, we talk about this concept, pressure season, right? I've got an important question for you. It's rhetorical, perhaps. Think about it, maybe. What if the pressure you're facing is not about you? What if the pressure you're facing right now is not about you? Now, and I don't cuss me out, or at least if you do it, do it under your breath, then it doesn't count. But don't cuss me out quite yet. See, because I, I, I think Paul is trying to tell us something. I think Paul is trying to give us just a little bit of an insight. Paul is trying to just give us a peer into this reality that the things that you're facing may not even be about you. Now, I know this is offensive to many of us. Can you imagine if your employer walked into your job and said, hey, I see what you've been doing. You've been killing it. You've been turning in your projects early. You've been staying late, getting here early. You've been supporting other team members. And because of that, because of how good you've been, we're going to give Johnny a raise. Be like, wait, maybe y'all are holier than me. Maybe y'all are the people who are like, okay, I can shout for my neighbor. But the reality is if it were me, I'd be looking, I'd be saying, hold up, hold up now. I did the work. How's he getting the benefit? I put in the time. How is she getting the rewards? I sowed the seed. How are they reaping the benefits off of what I sowed? You would look at that and say, this is wrong. Come on now, this is an injustice. This is unfair. I put in the work. I did this. It's mine. It's about me. It's about what I have rightfully earned. And you be correct, but the reality of the matter is in the kingdom of God, that's what Paul is saying happens. And I know it's offensive to us because what we're saying is, hold up, the pressure that I'm facing, it's about me. It's about my family. It's about my dreams, my future, my goals, my sickness or my health. It's about the things that I am experiencing. But the reality is, we have to ask ourselves the question, what if the pressure that we're facing is not about us, 
What if the pressure that you're facing is not about you? What if it's not about you to begin with? I want you to type that in the comments. Just get a practice. Get a practice run. Type that in the comments. It's not about me. Type it in the comments. I know it's hard. It's not about me. And the reality is that many times the purpose of the pressure that we're facing in our lives, it ultimately is not about us. You see, Paul, Paul is audacious enough to insinuate. He is audacious enough to imply that the things he is going through presently, which are bearing him down, which are pressing him in, which is the pressure that is threatening to break him, the pressure that is threatening to break him is for the benefit of the people he's writing to. It's for the benefit of other people. If you don't believe me, let's take a look at the text. Let's take a look at the text. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. You still got your Bibles, right? Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. How many of y'all are glad that God is a compassionate God? How many of y'all are glad that God is a gracious God? How many of you are relieved that God is a loving God? God is a God of hope. God is a God of peace. God is a God of joy. That God is a God of loving kindness. How many of y'all are glad that God didn't leave you where, where he found you? That God didn't leave you stuck in your sins? That God didn't leave you stuck in the mud, but God reached down and grabbed you? How many of y'all are glad that God is compassionate, that God is loving, that God is gracious, that he's a God of long-suffering, that he's a God of the second and the third and the fourth and the third? thousand chance because the truth be told if we're honest with ourselves we needed all thousand of those chances from God do I have a witness in the house how many y'all are glad that God is compassionate we praise God for that that's an easy shout for us right but Paul's setting us up he's doing a little bit of bait and switch okay so you're happy about the compassionate God remember that he's compassionate remember that he's the God of all comfort because watch this it's about to seem like God doesn't love you based upon what he puts you through. It's going to seem like God doesn't love you based upon what he's putting you through. Woo. Look at verse 4. It says here, praise to this God, Father of compassion, God of all comfort. Why? Who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can experience our best lives. That's what the text says, right? That's what it says? No, no, okay, so let me, let, me, let me read it back. Who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can get what we think we always deserve. That's what it says, right? That's not what it says? Oh, it says, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Hold up. So what you're telling me is, Paul is rooting the purpose why we go through things, not in his own personal benefit alone, but in the benefit that other people will have through us. Do you realize that the things you're going through are for the sake of other people? The things you're facing are for the benefit of the people who are watching you face them. Now, I know this doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem just. It doesn't seem like this is the way things should be set up. But what Paul is telling us is, God arranges life and allows you to go through things not just for you, but for the benefit of other people. This is the principle. Write this down. What you have been given was meant to be shared. What you have been given was meant to be shared. 
Now, I think this is true in a tangible sense. I think the things that we have been given, we're supposed to freely give to other people. As much as we have given, it's more blessed to give than to receive, right? We believe in those principles. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I believe that's true in a tangible sense. But I think also intangibly that the things you have been given through the pressure experiences of your life, those are actually designed to be given away and shared with other people. You know, uh, let me illustrate it like this. School's getting ready to start back up, right? We, we've been praying about what we're supposed to be doing and praying for our teachers and our administrators and our educators and our students and our parents who are making difficult decisions, and we continue to do so. But as school's been starting back up, I've been thinking about one of my least favorite things about school. One of my least favorite things about school, and this happened, started happening in middle school, then it was high school, then it was college. One of my least favorite things about school, you ready? Group projects. Who likes group projects, y'all? Who really enjoys group projects? Who gets excited whenever the teacher says, oh, it's time for the group project. I'm going to pair you with a few of these people. You guys going to do a great job. Who's excited? Who jumps up and down and screams? Who pumps their fists and says, yes, nobody. I'm convinced nobody likes group projects. Why? Because everyone thinks that a group project has the same flaw. Doesn't matter what class, what school, what grade level, what experience. Group projects have the same fatal flaw. What is it? You know what it is. If it's a group of four people or five people, it's going to be one or two people that do all the work, and then the other people get credit for the work they did. Come on, don't shout me. Don't shout me down. You know I'm telling the truth. The group projects are all fun and, fun and games until you realize that one or two people, they're going to get all, they're going to do all the work, but all the people are going to get the grade. But the one or two people, now it doesn't strike me as fair. As a matter of fact, you know, one of the things that I say is we should arrange group projects a little bit differently. I'm not an educator, you know, I'm not an expert. But you know, I used to think if we arrange it differently, maybe we get a different result, right? A lot of times, here's what teachers try to do, they try to game it, right? They try to put the, the students who are doing well in the class with some of the students who are not doing so well in the class. And they're like, the idea is that the students who are doing well are gonna lift up the students who are not doing well. And I'm like, nah. Don't do that. Put all the students who are doing well together with the students who are not doing well together, and let's see how they work it out. Because students who are doing well, they're going to try to fight each other to get, you know, the, the lead, and they're going to try to fight each other to do this, and that's going to develop something in them because they're going to have to learn to collaborate. And then the students who are not doing so well, who maybe don't care about the class, they're going to have to rise up, and someone's going to have to take a lead, and someone's going to have to take a stand. But if you put them together, then the students who are not doing well don't care about the class. They're not going to care. You see, it's my idea. Like, this will make group projects better. I can't stand group projects. How is it that I'm going to do the work and other people are going to get the credit? Don't make sense. It's not fair. It's not right. Can I inform you of something? I have some bad news for you today, church. The kingdom of God is a group project. The kingdom of God is a group project. Let that sink in. Let the beat breathe. The kingdom of God is a group project. What you do is intended to benefit people who you don't even know. What you do is intended to benefit people who may not even deserve it. What you go through is intended to be for the benefit of the people who are in proximity to you that God has assigned to you. And I know it seems offensive to you. I know it seems like it's unfair, but watch it now. 
Be careful, because if you bristle at the idea that the kingdom of God is a group project, you got to open up the Bible. And see, when I open up the Bible, I see some different people. And it seems like what they went through, we still benefit from today. Isn't that the testimony of Abraham? Through you, Abraham, the nations of the earth will be blessed. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. So through you, now all these other people will benefit from what you went through. Oh, you don't believe Abraham? Come here, Moses. Moses, I'm going to spare your life when you should have been wiped out due to genocide. And I'm going to allow you to be in the Egyptian palace. And I'm going to allow you to be in the Egyptian palace so that when you leave, when you kill somebody and then leave and flee, you're going to have to come back and be able to speak Egyptian and Hebrew because that's your native tongue. You're going to be able to be in Uptown and Motown. You're going to be able to do both. You're going to be able to have experience in both so that you can free my people. So what you went through wasn't just for the benefit of you. I need to free a whole nation through you. Come on. Who is hearing me? Come here, Joseph. You don't believe me? Come here, Joseph. What does Joseph say in Genesis 50? What does he say? He says, in the time when I could have pressed down and really got after my brothers, in the time when I could have had them executed in my position of power because they faked my death and sold me into slavery and then the pit and, and then the prison and then the palace. But the reality is Joseph looks at him and says, no, no, no. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Why? Read to the end of the verse. So that many people can be saved to save much people alive. So what I went through wasn't for the benefit of me. It was for the benefit of all the other people that I was going to be able to free. Come here, Esther, because they still don't believe me. Esther, come here. Maybe it's that you were put in this position for such a time as this because through you, your people are going to be saved and your people are going to be liberated from a plot that is intended to wipe them out. The kingdom of God is a group project. And I know some of y'all still don't believe me. Here's the reality of the matter. These are celebrities, right? These are the famous people. These are people you know their names. You know their stories. There's some other people I want to talk about. What was the name of the woman with the issue of blood? What was her name? Do you know? But text doesn't even say the name of the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years but reached out and touched the hem of his garment. And how many of us in our prayer time have claimed that same promise and that same level of faith for ourselves? What was the name of Jairus' daughter who was dead and was able to be raised up by Jesus? And we all claim it because we say if dead things exist, Jesus can come and breathe life upon them, and we don't even know her name. What's the name of the leper that came back to thank Jesus? What's the name of the widow who was down to her last, and she took the oil and she poured it out, and we claim it for ourselves? We don't even know her name. What's the name of the man who was an invalid for 38 years that Jesus raised up? What's the name of the paralytic man whose friends took him on the roof and ripped the roof off so that he could get to Jesus? What's the name of the servant who was dependent upon the faith of the centurion who said, if you just speak a word, my servant will be healed? And you use their stories. You use their stories. You use their faith. And nobody cries injustice then. Nobody says it's unfair then. So here's my question. Do you want a testimony powerful enough to outlive you? <laughs> Do you want a testimony that's powerful enough to outlive you, church? And some of you still don't believe me. Okay, let me bring it home to where you live. Let me bring it home to where you live. Look at what Paul says. 
Paul says this, for if, for just as we share, verse 5, abundantly in the sufferings of who? Right in the chat. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If you don't think the kingdom of God is a group project, you're like, no, we're going to stand in front of God on our own. That's true, but the reality is what you do affects other people. What other people do affects you. If you don't think that, then don't believe in Jesus because Jesus went to a cross and hung for sins he ain't even commit. Don't forget it, church. Jesus did all the work on your behalf. You are the recipient of an unfair group project because Jesus stepped up and said, even though they committed all the sins, I'll still do all the work. Is anybody thankful that God didn't look down on you when it was time to do all the work for you? And this is what happens, church. We start to miss it. The kingdom of God, it's a group project. Type that in the comments. It's a group project. It's a group project. You're going to do work, somebody else is going to get the benefit. They're going to do work, you're going to get the benefit. That's how it works. Paul is saying here that there's a relationship, excuse me, there's a relationship between what I go through and the comfort I receive is meant to be given. It's meant to be shared. Let me illustrate it further. Here's what he says. Verse 5, let me reread this. For just as we share abundantly, just as we share abundantly, say it again, just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Watch this. If we're distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. Here's, here's, what I'm, here's what I'm seeing from the text. The purpose of pressure, the purpose of the pressure that we are going through, type this word in the comments, is one word, capacity. Capacity. Type it in the comments, capacity. C-A-P-A-C-I-T-Y. Capacity. The purpose of pressure is to expand our capacity into abundantly sharing what we have been given. The purpose of pressure is to expand our capacity into abundantly sharing what we have been given. Here's the problem. Some of us enter into pressure with low capacity, and then we still have low capacity when we leave. Because we haven't allowed the pressure that God intended to put us in to expand our capacity, we haven't allowed it to expand us. Can I illustrate this? Can I illustrate this? I want to illustrate for you low capacity. Here, come over to me. Step into my office. I want to illustrate low capacity. This right here is what God is trying to take you to, abundance. It is a container full of fresh produce. Got some lemons here. Got some oranges. We got a peach over here. This is, this is good peaches too. I might eat this later. Got a banana. We got some apples over here, some more oranges, some limes, some good stuff in here. It's where God wants to take you. Whenever I think about abundance, I think about fruit. I think about the fact that there's fresh produce. You look healthy. You just, I, when I picked up this fruit, I was like, I'm, I'm about to be so healthy. I had some water and some fruit. I'm like, I'm just the healthiest person you've ever met, right? That's what you feel. This is where God is trying to take you, to the place where you experience abundance, only problem is, this way you at right now. 
This your capacity at the end of pressure? Supposed to be. This where you at right now. You got a lime and an apple. You doing it. Praise God. You got your two scriptures. You got that one sermon that you wrote down. You got them three times you prayed all year. Dun, 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 dun. But God is good. You have to understand, God is so good. God don't want you to stay there. He wants to expand your capacity, but here's the problem. Some of us would like to remain in a low capacity level. Some of us like to remain in a place where this is all we got. I don't want it. No, I don't want to grow. I don't want to do this. Can, can I tell you something about low capacity? We'll talk about high capacity people next week, okay? So I'm just going to prepare you. I'm going to tell you three things about low capacity. When you have a low capacity, number one, it's not always your fault, okay? I just want to tell you that before I get into this. It's not always your fault. It's not always the things that you have done. But sometimes you have a low capacity. You have to identify the fact that you're comfortable remaining here with your two pieces of fruit when you could have abundance. Can I tell you something about low capacity, people? Low capacity. When you have a low capacity, you hoard what you've been given. You hoard the thing you have supposed to be given out. You hoard it. You keep it to yourself. Now, you're supposed to be in a place where you're exchanging the capacity that you have with people who also have an abundant capacity. It's supposed to be a one-to-one -one correlation. You have abundance for my lack of abundance, or I have abundance for your lack of abundance. You're supposed to share it back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It's supposed to be a symbiotic relationship. That's the purpose of community. Community is supposed to develop not just me, but it's also supposed to develop you through me. God, don't just speak to me, speak through me, right? But here's the problem. We hoard what we've been given. We have a scarcity mentality. And some of us don't enter into meaningful relationships with people that are meant to develop and expand our capacity to the abundance that God desires for us to experience in him because we are too scared that they're going to take what we have. So here's what we do. You ready? Here's what we do. Okay? People come and approach you. They're trying to get in community with you. They're trying to develop you. They're trying to enter into this symbiotic one-to-one -one relationship as it relates to abundance, to abundance. Your abundance for my abundance. They approach you. You're like, bro, what you want? Man, what y'all want, man? I don't even like people like that, man. You know what? No, bro. No, no. Stay away. Y'all Christians always trying to get in community. Bro, chill, man. Y'all always trying to get in community. You're always trying to grow people. You're always trying to develop people. You're always trying to, man, you're trying to expand my capacity. You're asking me all these questions. What you doing? How you, how's your word? How's your word like? What's your soul like? Man, chill, bro. Chill like I'm good, man. Yo. And here's the thing. Some of us are afraid because of the trauma we've experienced. Others of us are afraid because we are content hoarding what was intended to be given out. We are so scared that someone's going to take our little two pieces. We're so scared that we're going to end up empty. See, some of us, we're lashing out because of the emptiness that we know we have, so we're afraid to give anything to anybody because we're scared that we're so empty that someone's going to take and leave me with nothing. Don't cuss me out. If you're going to cuss me out, do it under your breath. Then it doesn't count. Do it in your mind. And we hoard that which we've been given. We have a scarcity mentality. We can't enter into the abundance of community. We can't enter into the abundance of what God intends for us to exchange with one another because we just, man, chill, bro. No, it's not that you don't want meaningful relationships. It's that you're afraid that they're going to take the little you have. 
<laughs> let, me keep, let me keep moving on. Too much. Let me keep moving on. So number one, here's what you do. You hoard what you've been given, right? You keep it to yourself. You have a scarcity mentality. And then here's what you do. This leads into number two. This is what you do. So you're like, you know what? I got my thing. And you say, you know what? It's about me. It's about me. It's all about me. This is why I have this, these two pieces. It ain't about you. It's about me. Remember Snoop Dogg? What did Snoop Dogg say in that uh, acceptance speech for his award? I like to thank one person. I like to thank me. I like to thank me for believing in me. Me for never giving up in me. Me for always keeping me going. Me for always encouraging me. And it's about you. So here's what you say. You know what? I don't like people like that. It's about me in this season. It's about me and mine. I don't even like people. Mm-mm. I don't do that. You know what? You know why I don't like people? Because people be driving around. People be, be out here and they be, who are you can't trust people because you got to eat your own. There's some good comfort right here. This is a green kind. This is a real comfort. You see, you can't trust people. Because people will be insulting you. People will be going off on you. Mm. This is some good comfort. They stab you in the back. It's about you. You got to do you and yours. You don't hoard what you've been given. You gorge on what you've been given. You start to utilize the comfort that you've received from God, all the intangible things that are meant to develop you through other people, and you start eating it for yourself. You gorge on it. It's about you. This all right here, this is mine. So I'm going to eat it. It's going to taste good too. So some of y'all are so content being by yourself. You're like, I'm thriving. I'm flourishing. What you mean, quarantine? I thrive on this. I like being by myself anyway. You know, people, they just, you feel like you're flourishing. You feel like you're leveling up. You're doing it with nobody else but you. Oh, I'm doing it. And the reality is, watch this, church. You're eating what was intended to be deposited in someone else. You're eating the seed. This is not just a principle as it relates to intangible relationships. It's also a principle as it relates to finances, right? When it comes time to give, when it comes time to be generous, what do you do? You're not able to because you've been too busy eating your seed. You were supposed to plant it. It was supposed to grow, but you ate it. You kept eating it. And here's what happened. When you keep gorging, this is a good apple for real though. When you keep gorging, what happened? You get sluggish. It's good. I'm comfortable where I'm at. God's like, it's not about your comfort. It's about developing something in you that can bless your neighbor. And it's about your neighbor developing something in them that can bless you. Some of you have been lulled into the false security of success. You think that because it seems like you're flourishing to you, that you don't need anything. So here's what you're going to do. You're just going to keep eating. This apple good, so I'm going to keep eating. I'm going to keep eating. I'm good. And you gorge on the very thing that you were supposed to be giving out. And here's what happened. Keep eating this apple, what happens? You start to get sluggish. You start to get slow. And when it comes time, when you need to level up and have some relational capacity, you don't have none. You can't move quickly. You've been eating the thing you've been supposed to be depositing, church. 
You've been gorging on the thing that you've been supposed to be giving to other people. It wasn't about you. You were supposed to take this and chew a little bit and plant it in somebody else. But you hoard it, then you gorge on it. Then, number three, you ready? You get bored with it. You hoard what you've been given. You gorge on what you've been given. And then you get bored with what you've been given. You forget all about the development of capacity because your life going real well. You get bored with it. Yeah, I did that comfort thing a while back, you know. I'm good on the level I was at, you know. I achieved enough in my life, experienced enough, <laughs> you know. Did enough for the church, you know, ran a department, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> did my ministry stuff, you know, served a little bit. Got in there. I did that 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, now, you know, it's just, <sighs> man, you know, I'm just, just trying to develop the next in my life. You know, I'm just trying to focus on me. You know, I just, uh, man, I just, I don't know, man. I just, I'm, I'm good. I'm comfort. I'll, whatever y'all do. Yeah, that's good for y'all. Not really good for me. I, I'm, it's not for me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's not for me. You know, all that Christian stuff, all that development stuff, I passed all that, man. I graduated from that, man. You know, I'm, I'm so-and-so, man. I'm minister so-and-so, man. I'm, I'm pastor this. I'm pastor that. Prophet, evangelist, man. I'm good, bro. I'm good. I don't really need all that, man. And here's what happens. You have insulated yourself from the hardship that is meant to develop you to abundantly give to other people. There is no graduation in the kingdom of God. You are intended to continue growing and developing until you leave out of here. Just because it doesn't matter if you're the greatest bishop ever. It doesn't matter if you're the greatest singer ever. It doesn't matter if you're the greatest administrator ever. Doesn't matter if you're the greatest preacher ever. Doesn't matter any of that. The kingdom of God does not give you a graduation certificate and says now you can retire and do whatever you want to do. It says no, you need to stop just hoarding and being gorging on and being bored with what you have and you still need to develop abundantly. Do you realize how many Christians are not growing because they have been lulled into the sense of American consumption? Are we successful? We killing it in corporate America, so because we killing it in corporate America, now we can't serve in the kingdom of God? Because it looks like this now, now okay, so now we're not really about that development anymore? What good is it for us to be blessed in the world, to be blessed in corporate America, and to be a failure in the kingdom? So here's what Paul is saying, church. Let me move on. Here's what Paul is saying, church. He's saying, I've intended, God has intended all of us to experience abundant capacity. And this is what it's supposed to be. I know it may seem odd. I know it may seem strange. But he says, come and give away the little you have. Give it away. Give away the little you have. You're like, God, why am I giving it away? They take, do you trust me enough? That if they come and take the little you have, I can restore what the enemy stole? Do you trust me enough to give you back double for your trouble, to give you back fourfold? Is that only financial? Is that only just with your money? Or do you trust me enough that the capacity you dump into other people, the things that you freely give based upon obeying the command of God, that God is not just going to bless you, but he's going to bless other people through you. Now that you've delivered that capacity, do you trust that I'm a sense of people who say you've been lacking some things? You lack some hope. You lack some joy. Let me put this down in your heart. You need to keep your head up. You've lacked some, some encouragement. You know what? 
because you've given out, I'm going to send some people who are just enamored with all that you're capable of doing, who are just encouraging you. You know what? Since you've been low, since you've been lonely by yourself, I'm going to send some people who are going to give you some love, who are going to give you some intimate relationship, and they're going to encourage you, and they're going to lift you up. And you know what? Uh, since you've been lacking some determination, I'm going to send some people who are going to encourage you, who are going to build you up, who are going to challenge you, who are going to say you're not supposed to quit. You're not supposed to die here. You're not supposed to stay on this level. You know, since you've been lacking some people who are able to bless you financially, let me give you some people who are going to just sow seeds into your life just saying I believe the God in you and God has given me so much I'm gonna bless you and since you know what oh, oh you, this is too much this is too much for your little capacity so let me expand your capacity let me put all this in here because you've given it out and now you've been around some other people who are abundant and you've been generous with your little now I'm gonna bless you with more let me give you this let me give you that let me give you some peace let me give you some more let me give you the relationships that you need to develop you let me give you some networking opportunities let me give you some people who are gonna develop those latent gifts on the inside of you let me give you a church family that believes in you let me give you some people around you who are going to cancel out the lies that you believed about all the people who betrayed you in the past. Let me give you this. Let me give you that. And God is saying, when you give it away, I'll bless you with abundant capacity, church. I'll bless you with the things you lack, but you got to give it away. Oh my goodness. I believe somebody is going to experience some freedom today. I believe that somebody is going to say, you know what? I've been hoarding and I've been gorging and I've been bored with what God has given me. But if I give away, now I see God's going to bless me. He's going to bless me with more. You know what I need you to do right now? I'm going to give you a couple of minutes. I want you to go find the biggest bowl or the biggest container in your house. Go get it right now. Right now, I'm waiting for you. Go get the biggest container in your house. If you say, I'm done with staying on the level that I was on before I got into this pressure situation, I'm done doing it. I'm done staying on this level that I was on before God put me through the fire. Go get the biggest bowl in your house. I'm waiting. I'll wait. Go get the biggest bowl in your house. Get the biggest container in your house. Bring it to where you're at right now. Go get it. I'll give you 30 more seconds. Get the biggest container. Some of y'all need to get a suitcase. Some of y'all need to get a big, a big bin. Some of y'all need to grab something. Grab it. Grab a basket. Grab a laundry basket. Grab a bowl. Grab a mixing bowl. I want you to bring it to where you're watching this service. I want you to hold it up right now. I want you to hold it up. I want you to put your hands on it. If you can't lift it above your head, I want you to put your hands on it. And I want you to say this. Thing. I'm done with low capacity. I'm done with it. I'm done with low capacity. I'm done believing that this is all I'm worth. I'm done believing that this is sufficient for my next level. I'm done, I'm done with it. I'm done with it. I'm done with low capacity. I want to experience the abundance that God has for me. I want to experience the abundance that can spill over into the lives of others. I want to experience the things that other people abundantly have been given from God that flows over into my life. I'm ready to experience the abundance because the abundance that I have was meant to be given. I want to have a testimony that's powerful enough to be used by somebody else who doesn't even know me. That's what I want. And I believe this so strongly, church. I know we took a little bit more time today. I want you to put your hands on this capacity. I want you to put your hands on this bowl, this container. 
One hand on the container, one hand up to the sky. Come on, let's do it, let's do it. One hand on the container. One hand up to the sky. You have been wondering why God is allowing you to go through what you've been going through. And God is saying, I'm trying to take you to abundance. I'm trying to expand your capacity. Because the level to which you give to others, you're going to be blessed yourself. The level to which you pour into others, abundantly, abundance is going to come back to you. Lift your hands up right now. I want you to repeat after me. I want you to say, God, I thank you that pressure has a purpose. God, I thank you that pressure is all about building my capacity. God, I thank you that you don't want me to experience low capacity anymore, that you love me too much to let me stay on the level I'm at. So God, now, would you give me the strength and the determination and the fortitude and the resilience and the perseverance to expand my capacity? God, may I take advantage of every relationship that is intended to grow me. Every connection that is intended to develop me. Every relationship that was meant to train me on how to handle and how to distribute abundance. I thank you, God, that whatever the enemy took in a low capacity season, you have the power to give me back tenfold, <laughs> a hundredfold, a thousandfold, that whatever I thought I was empty in, you're going to bless me with more than enough. In Jesus' name. I said, in Jesus' name. Come on, church. Ain't nobody else here. It's you and me. In Jesus' name. If you believe that, why don't you put your hands together right where you're at? Put your hands together. It's all about capacity, church. It's all about capacity. May we be a church that's not comfortable staying in the low-capacity seasons of our life. May we expand our capacity to more than enough. Not for us, but so it can be given to other people. Go and do. Go and do. Well, church, I hope that that word and worship blessed you. I hope it challenged you. I hope the seeds of the gospel were sown deep in the soil of your soul so that you can bear much fruit. We don't just believe in making decisions. We truly believe in making transformation and discipleship. So if you made a decision for Christ today, I hope and desire that you would reach out to us, that you would type home in the comment section of Facebook or YouTube. We genuinely want to reach out and talk to you and encourage you and walk with you on this spiritual journey. And when it comes to salvation, I just want to make this clear that it is just a prayer away. That the Bible says that if we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, we will be saved. And salvation is the most important decision you can make, the decision to follow after Jesus. It's not just a momentary statement. It is a lifelong commitment. It is a heart transformation. And so if that's you and you desire a heart transformation, it is as simple as lifting up your hands and saying, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've gone against your way. God, I desire to follow after you. 
for all of my days. I desire to lift up Jesus as my Lord and my Savior, and I know that Jesus will change my life forever. It's as simple as that. You don't have to use my words. There's no power in my words. The power is in the confession and in the belief. And if you prayed that prayer, again, type home in the comments. We would absolutely love to talk with you and walk with you along this next stage of your spiritual journey. Thank you again for tuning in. If you did not have the chance to give, I want you to click the app uh, link or the giving link up in the description or in the pinned comment, whether you're on Facebook or YouTube. That'll take you directly to places where you can set up a one-time or recurring gift if you want to sow into the kingdom. There's no compulsion. We're not trying to scheme to get money out of you. That's not our desire at all, at all. We just believe in giving and in generosity because it reflects the heart of the kingdom of God and also so that ministry can be done, true ministry can be done as well. Well, church, I hope to see you next week here at the NDCC Online Worship Experience. Same time, same place, we are going to be here and I know that God is going to meet you. I pray that God stays with you, that it's not just here on a Sunday morning, but I pray that God stays with you throughout the week. I speak blessings upon you, the power and the peace of God upon you as you go into real life now. Go and apply and do what God has taught you today. Well, this is Pastor Tyler and on behalf of our entire team. Thank you again for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Be blessed.